In our story from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is on the move. And Mark tells us that as he was coming out of the temple, one of his disciples, an unnamed disciple, invites Jesus to, to marvel at the temple. And so as I was reading this story, one of my first thoughts was, well, I wonder what he was doing in there. And so I looked and I discovered that uh, Jesus was in the temple for like two whole chapters, uh, like almost two whole days, uh, stuff was happening in there. And so um, you go all the way back to, uh, to chapter 11 or, or two chapters before in Mark 11 and I discovered like that's the triumphal entry. I realized, whoa, like this is Jesus' last week. It, it's Holy Week. And so uh, at, at the evening of that day, uh, it, it says that uh, Jesus went into the temple and he kind of has a look around and um, that it was already late. Like, I don't know what that meant for them. Like for me, that'd be like seven o'clock in the evening. Um, but it would have been like, I'm guessing, you know how when you've been in church on Sunday morning and the place is packed and then you come you know, uh, maybe after you've had a, a meeting or a class at the church and it's at night and you just decide to, to slip into the sanctuary and it's dark and nobody's in there. I, I wondered if, if it was like that. Uh, so, so then they left. Well, the very next morning, um, they, they come back into Jerusalem and, and Jesus goes into the temple and uh, he, he teaches them. Uh, but before that, it's the story where he kind of gets all upset. He starts driving people away. Uh, he starts turning over the tables, the, the people that were selling doves and, 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 and doing all of that. And then uh, he has this teaching moment after he creates this chaos. And he says, don't you know it's written, you know, that uh, the house of the Lord shall be a house of prayer for all nations? Uh, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now that made the clergy really mad. And it says that, you know, they wanted to find a way to kill him. Um, crazy. And so uh, the next day he comes, and back in Jerusalem, Mark says he's, he's walking through the temple. And it's like he spends another whole day uh, teaching. And, and at first it says the, the clergy, the chief priests, the, re the religious leaders, they, they come to him and th their question is, like, who do you think you are? Like, where, where do you get the authority to, to do the stuff that you did yesterday and, and to teach the things that you're teaching? And Jesus kind of responds with his own little question. And this says, that, so they're now arguing amongst themselves. There's, there's more chaos. He tells them this parable. At the end of the parable, they all realize he was talking about them. And so that makes them even madder. And they were wanting to arrest him right then and there in the temple. Um, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians come to him and, and they have questions and they're actually trying to trap him. And then another religious group called the Sadducees, they don't believe in a resurrection. And so they come with questions about resurrection and, and Jesus uh, talks to them and, and teaches them and, and, and on it goes. And Mark says that in this day there was a large crowd that was listening to him and that they were listening to him with delight. It's a full day in, temp in the temple and the last thing 
Mark tells us uh, the last thing that Jesus does before he comes out is that he sits across from the temple treasury and he watches people putting in their gifts. So Jesus and his disciples are people watching. And they see some people putting in large gifts, large sums of money, and they see this poor widow who just puts in a penny. And and so again, Jesus takes this as a teaching moment and he says to them, her gift is really the larger gift. And so we begin to get this sense that God measures things differently. So, as Jesus comes out of the temple, uh, this disciple says, look at these large stones, look at these large buildings. So they go from people watching to temple watching. I love temple watching. About four years ago, my wife Chan and I went on a trip to Rome and I was really pumped because uh, we were gonna uh, go to the Vatican. I was especially excited, uh, not just for all the museums and St. Peter's Basilica, but I was excited about the Sistine Chapel. I had learned that in 1870, the Sistine Chapel was, was the con- where the conclave met, like where all of the cardinals elected the new pope. That's a pretty significant space, not to mention all of the artwork. And so maybe you know um, that Pope Sixtus IV commissioned all of these amazing Renaissance painters. Um, you know, Botticelli and, ah, I forget all the names, there was a bunch of them, to, to paint um, the Sistine Chapel with all these frescoes. There were, there were two frescoes, um, one to the left of the altar depicted the life of Moses, one to the right of the altar uh, depicted the life of Jesus. They even uh, mixed in some, some paintings of the popes who had governed, uh, you know, up until that time. Well, this work was done in 1482, and, and Pope Sixtus IV, after all of, uh, of the, the painting had been done, um, he consecrated the Sistine Chapel and, and dedicated it to the Virgin Mary. Well, about 25 years later, Pope Julius II commissioned Michelangelo to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And what he did um, was, was this extraordinary work of art that literally changed kind of the direction of, of Western art. Uh, it, was, it was magnificent. Well, about 25 years after that, Michelangelo was commissioned again, um, and, and he painted his last judgment in the wall uh, of the altar. So, we were really excited. And so we're, we're being herded around like sheep, you know, and, and um, through the museums, and, and now, we're in the hallway that leads from, I guess, the, the Pope's residential place to the Sistine Chapel. And this, this hallway, I don't know, I think it's about as long as a football field. It was crazy awesome. They call it the, the Gallery of Maps. And that's because hundreds of years before, um, artists were commissioned to, to paint maps in the ceiling. And so just imagine, you know, walking through this hallway and you're just looking up and, and you got to keep moving, but you want to just stand there and, and gape at this architecture and, and this beautiful art. Uh, finally, we get into the Sistine Chapel and, you know, there's the, the buzz and the, and the noise of the crowd. There were guards there and there were strict rules about 
uh, how we could behave inside the Sistine Chapel. No cameras were allowed for copyright reasons um, that, you know, you can't sell the pictures, you can't post your pictures and all that, but also, you know, you can't be f doing your flashbulbs in there um, for uh, the, the, the safety of the art. People were sneaking with their cameras, taking pictures, doing videos. This one lady, she had her iPad and she was unashamed holding her iPad up above her head just in awe of this amazing space, I leaned into Chan and I said, honey, let's take a selfie with the finger of God above us. And she punched me. She was having none of that. Um, it's good for me to have Chan around um, because she's the one who keeps me out of jail. Well, we had an amazing experience. We love temple watching. Wherever we go in the world, we're always drawn to the cathedrals. And the architect in me, I'm just always amazed at uh, the, the structure and the, and, and the curiosity of how in the world did they pull this off, you know? Chan, you know, she's the spiritual one in our family and she always lights a candle. We, we sit together in the pew and we, we pray for our children. I'm always enthralled when I go to Duke Chapel in Durham. And just two weeks ago, like just right over there, I uh, almost hit it with a rock. At Long's Chapel United Methodist Church, we had the installation service for our new district superintendent. And they've done all this new building over there. And it was the first time I had seen it. And I was, I was walking through their amazing buildings and just marveling at it. And I started to feel some, some building envy, you know? And then, I, and then I remembered, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, uh, we've got a pretty amazing temple too at First Methodist. In fact, we can even play basketball in one of our worship spaces. So in, in our text, in Mark 13, uh, they, they come out of the temple and this, and this guy says, look at these large stones. The, the Greek word can, can also be translated wonderful. Look at these large, wonderful stones. Look at these large, wonderful buildings. And they were. The Jerusalem temple was just this magnificent thing. Um, Roman historian Tacitus says that, that, that he just describes it as this mountain of, of white marble that's adorned with gold. And, and it was this massive complex. There were huge courtyards and, and, and colonnades and, and arches and, and porches and... and um, uh, it, it was really this, this stunning work of art. And um, Herod, actually, um, in Jesus' time, uh, had, had renovated uh, the, the temple. And it was actually the second temple, you know, because the first one got destroyed. And um, he, he set out to make this probably the largest and most uh, magnificent sacred site in, in all of the Roman Empire. And these stones, like they were huge. Um, architects today are, are even marvel at, at the size of them. I mean, the smallest ones weighed anywhere from, from two to five tons. And, and the largest one that's in the Western Wall, like some say it's the largest building stone in, in antiquity. It's estimated to, to weigh about 570 tons. And they didn't use any cement. They were just stacked on each other. Like what held it together was the weight of the stones. Uh, that's how big it was. And so Jesus says, 
Yeah. Uh, his response to them is, yeah, this is all great. <laughs> but it's all going to come down. Not one stone is going to be left remaining on another. And I try, you know, I tried to imagine what their response might have been. Certainly they would have been stunned by that, maybe stunned into silence, maybe uh, standing there with, with their mouths hanging open, like, what are you talking about? Because you know it would have felt so backwards to them. Like, that's, a, that's the last thing that was supposed to happen. Like, they were disciples of Jesus. Probably most of them had been following for a couple of years. And this was Jesus' last week, so this is late in the game. So they would already have been convinced that He's the guy. He's Messiah. Like, He's coming to stick it to the Romans. Like, all that, all that they, they've got coming, like, it's coming. This new age, this, this new kingdom, is, it, it's on us. So what is Jesus talking about? And besides, like, this is God's place. God lives here. And, and in their hearts and minds, for the Jewish people, like the temple was the center of it all. Like that's that place where God and God's people come close. It's the rendezvous place. How could God allow that to happen? Mark says that Jesus and his disciples, they move over to the Mount of Olives um, and, and they're able to see the, the temple. So, so they're till, still temple watching. And the, the two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they, they come secretly and, and ask Jesus or, or privately um, because they're curious about all of this, uh, as we would have been too. And, and they just want to know, like, when is all this going to happen? You know, what, what is the, the sign that, that this is coming? Um, that, you know, what they're talking about is, is the end of days, the end of the age when um, God's kingdom is going to be ushered in. And so I think it's probably this curiosity like we might have about, uh, you know, a skyscraper being taken down or something like that. But, but I think probably deep down it's going to be like when... Uh, when is all this going to come to pass? When, when are we going to be able to, to live in, in peace? You know? And so Jesus says there's, there's you know, um, going to be war, rumors of wars, and you're going you're gonna to hear all this stuff about uh, kingdoms uh, rising against kingdom and, and nation against nation. And he, and he says, you know, don't be alarmed by this. He warns them a little bit about people who are going to lead you astray when times get a little chaotic and turbulent. Um, but he says this is just the beginning of the birth pangs. And so if you continue reading beyond the text that, that we read for today, uh, you hear Jesus saying some, some disturbing things. Uh, he, he says, you know, you, you need to be on your guard because they're going to hand you over to, to councils um, and, and you're going to be beaten in the synagogues. I took pause at that one. Like, think about that one for a second. You're going to be beaten in your own synagogue. Um, he says, uh, they're going to bring you to trial. Uh, don't worry because the Spirit will give you things to say. But you're going to be brought before governors and you're going to be brought before kings. Like, talk about fear of public speaking. Now you're being called to speak to the governors and, and to the kings. 
a very disturbing thing Jesus says. is like brother will betray brother to death. Uh, a father his child. Children will, will rise up against parents. And, and he says, you're going to be hated by all because of my name. Like imagine hearing all of that. But this is what Jesus says. The one who endures to the end will be saved. He, he likens it all to birth pangs. That what the disciples are going to be uh, caught up in is, is likened to birth pangs. I think that's interesting, and, and I think it's also very significant. Um, they're going to be caught up in, in these convulsions. Uh, I, I love what, what N.T. Wright says about this, you know, that, that, that Jesus and his followers... Um, are, are called uh, to the, the purpose of, purposes of God, it, it, to this place where uh, the purposes of God uh, and the pain of the world cross paths with each other. Uh, theologian Emily Towns, uh, she says, Mark associates the destruction of the temple with the end of the current age and the kingdom of God. In keeping with other apocalyptic literature, Jesus uses signs and events of the day to signal the coming of the end of the current age. Yet with this end is the birth of a new age, remarkably in the midst of the predictions of destruction, if not annihilation, lie the seeds of salvation. Maybe you know about um, the lodgepole pine. The lodgepole pine tree has um, serotonous pine cones, which means that they're, they're, they're thick and, and they're coated with this, with this uh, deep layer of, of, of rosin. And they don't just open on their own. Like inside, there's hundreds of seeds. But in order for them to open, uh, it requires fire or a really, really hot day. It takes the fire to, to melt away the stuff uh, so, that, so that the seeds can be spread. And when fire hits them, the seeds will drop to the forest floor um, or birds will carry them away. Uh, you can watch a, a David Attenbury, uh, Attenborough um, documentary, you know, the uh, life of the planet kind of documentary of, of, of landscape and, and uh, life of the American West. And you see this fire blazing through the forest like a, a bright wind. And the pine cones of the, the lodgepole pine tree, they're touched by this fire. They've been waiting so long for fire's touch. And they open. John the Baptist said to the crowd that was around him, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And, and, and Jesus says, the fire is coming, but keep the faith, endure to the end, because there's life on the other side of it. Amen.